Star Wars and robots go together hand in hand, so it's appropriate that my guest today has experience in both. These days, if you have to have your temperature checked before you enter a business, you may as well let a robot do it, and that's just what Misty Robotics is doing. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we have a fun interview with a man with vision. Heat-sensing vision, that is. This week I sit down with Ian Bernstein, who is the co-founder of Sphero. You might remember the little robot ball. After having a chat with the folks at Disney, Ian made the BB-8 robot for Sphero and then decided he wanted a robot that could do more. So he built Misty Robotics, a robot platform designed to democratize robotics and bring it to software developers to build some cool stuff. And we'll chat with Ian all about it. But first, it's time for the news of the week. Before we get started with the news, I have some personal news to share. I've ordered my Pixel 4a review unit, and it's winging its way to me as we speak. Well, you know what the Pixel is famous for, right? Photography, and specifically astrophotography. Since I'm home from Michigan and I don't feel like driving eight hours just to test one part of a phone camera, I started wondering where around Chicago I could get a good view of the sky for some photo fun. And that led me to the Northwest Suburban Astronomers Club, and now... I'm a member, so that's fun. I'll be heading out on some outings with the group so that they can laugh at the noob who showed up without a telescope before I blow them away with some of the best photos they've ever seen. Who knows? Maybe I'll even buy a telescope at some point. In its latest quest to own basically everything, Amazon is now considering setting up fulfillment centers in now-abandoned anchor stores in shopping malls. Amazon's theory seems to be... Someone should use malls, right? But is that the right answer to empty shopping malls? Amazon seems to be putting the consume into online consumer. It's bad enough that Amazon has put such a dent into brick-and-mortar stores. Now it wants to feed on the corpse of its victims. It's poetic, if a bit in poor taste. But it's also the flavor of delicious irony that I admit... I kind of enjoy, so have at it, Amazon. Honestly, I'm not really sure how this works out for Amazon. Sure, malls are big, but they're not Amazon fulfillment centers big. And I have to think that Amazon probably does have the logistics for this, but the question is, should it need them? I don't know. I guess I'm just wondering where Amazon's going to go with this next. Golf courses? McMansions? Community centers? Churches? How long until the Earth is just one giant Amazon fulfillment center? Sure, it'll be convenient to wake up, roll out of bed, and grab a new deodorant and toothpaste off the shelf, but maybe that's not the life that we should strive for, hmm? And in the latest large company dick move, Apple sued a startup with six employees for copyright infringement. The alleged infraction? The company's pear-shaped logo. Apple argues that the fact that the pre-pear... Get it? Pre-pear? Pear? Anyway, Prepare's pear-shaped logo with a little leaf hanging off of it is just too close to its own fruit-shaped logo with a leaf hanging off of it. And just F you, Apple. This is nothing but a big corporation with more lawyers on retainer than Prepare has employees totally pushing around a tiny startup. Prepare's logo is a freaking pear and is a very thick outline of a pear, so it's nothing even close to Apple's logo. But Apple wants to force this company to basically dissolve or spend thousands more dollars on developing a new logo. 
Prepare claims that they have already had to lay off one employee because of all this. Now, all that being said, Prepare is a recipe app, and it's spelled P-R-E-P-E-A-R, like pear, like the fruit. And that is just terrible branding. Sure, on the one hand, it's clever, but even when writing this script, I had to correct myself four or five times and write Prepare, P-E-A-R, the proper way, rather than the normal way. And trust me, I know I've probably lost hundreds, if not thousands of downloads for this podcast because of people looking for benefit of a doubt. So maybe I'm not in the best position to criticize, but honestly, Prepare... I just did it again. Maybe it's time to consider this a sign from the gods and just rebrand. It's just a thought. Good luck, though. Spank Apple like the little child it's acting like and get your name back. I'm rooting for you, even if your name is a terrible idea. This next story is a twofer about TikTok, and I wish I had put two and two together on this sooner, but Input Mag points out that President Trump has it out for TikTok. And do you remember around when all this started? Well, it was right around the time that Trump held a rally in Tulsa. You may recall that in the weeks leading up to the rally, Trump and company bragged a lot about the million or more ticket requests that they got. Well, imagine his surprise when only about 7,000 people showed up, not even filling the 19,000-seat arena, let alone the 40,000-seat overflow area they had set up specifically because of those ticket numbers. Well, it came out after the event that teenagers on TikTok organized to pre-order tickets to the rally that they would not attend. Ouch! Well, gosh gee willikers, that's right around the time that Trump started talking about banning TikTok because of, you know, security concerns on the Chinese government. Well, unfortunately, it's not that simple, because if it was that simple, this would be a non-story, but it turns out the Washington Post uncovered that TikTok actually kind of is a security concern, as the app collected MAC addresses from devices unbeknownst to users for over 15 months. Now, I'm not really a networking guy, but I do know that MAC addresses help identify devices on the internet, and I'm pretty sure that every device out there has a unique MAC address. I'll be honest, I'm too lazy to Google it, but collecting MAC addresses is specifically against the rules in both the Android and iOS app stores, but TikTok was using a loophole to get around it. TikTok stopped the practice back in November, but this is still a big deal because it makes you wonder... What else is TikTok collecting, or have they collected in the past? You recall, on this very show, I poo-pooed the idea that TikTok was a security risk because the iOS and Android stores have protections in place. Well, whoops. So, honestly, I blame Apple and Google as much as I blame TikTok. Apple especially. The whole reason people are willing to deal with a walled garden is so Apple can keep us all safe. But if Apple isn't keeping us safe then just what the hell, Apple? So really shame on everyone in the story, except those TikTok teenagers. You get a well-played, because honestly, the whole thing is hilarious. And I'm not just saying that because it was Trump. If word got out that a Metallica free concert had zero attendance because, I don't know, Luke Combs organized his followers to pre-order tickets and not show up, that would also be hilarious and, and crappy, don't get me wrong, but still hilarious. Okay, fine, you're right. Bad TikTok kids, you should all be ashamed of yourselves. That was very naughty. But you know, good job. Now the TikTok story gets even weirder. A poll inside Microsoft revealed that employees think that Microsoft buying TikTok would be unethical. Now, there's one huge caveat here. This is a survey of 250 Microsoft employees, and Microsoft has... 
well, you know, more than 250 employees. So I'm not sure how much of a headline this is really worth, but what I'm really not grasping is how is this unethical of Microsoft? I mean, not a great idea, I could see that, but unethical? How is it unethical? TikTok is a very successful social media platform, and personally, I think Microsoft is smart for buying it. You know, as long as they don't screw it up. What concerns me most is that Microsoft is only buying part of TikTok regionally, and I'm just not sure how having two TikToks out there is going to work. Like, you're in the U.S. and you travel to Japan, which TikTok are you using? What features will Microsoft TikTok users get that the rest of the world TikTokers won't? I don't know, and none of these are really earth-shattering debates, but still good questions to be asked, especially if you're frequent flying TikTokers, and okay, that's probably a fairly small niche at this point. But still, I don't see where the unethical part comes in. Maybe you can hit me up at benefitofadow.com slash contact, and let me know, because I'm shrugging on this one. Qualcomm is basically the leader in smartphone silicon, and the FTC was starting to take exception to Qualcomm's business practices that were essentially shaped by the fact that Qualcomm has most OEMs by the cojones. I don't mean that in a negative way. Qualcomm is among the elite chip makers in smartphones, and in its view, if you want the best, you pay for the best, which means, for example, if you want the Snapdragon 865 processor, well, you also need to buy Qualcomm's 5G modem that it didn't bother to integrate into the chip in the first place. Well, an appeals court tossed that antitrust case out the proverbial window, which is great news for Qualcomm and not so much for, you know, anyone who wants to make a flagship smartphone. It's okay, MediaTek, no one said that you're not pretty. But, you know, you're not Qualcomm. Oh, shoot, did I just say that out loud? Welcome to Ouchtown Population Uber. A California judge ruled that Uber and Lyft will need to reclassify their workers as employees rather than contractors, and that's not good news for Uber and Lyft. One of the main attractions of the gig economy is that contractors are cheaper in the long run. There's no health benefits, no paid vacations, no sick days, no nothing. You work, you earn, you don't, you don't, period. And to a certain extent, I get Uber and Lyft's reasoning here. Uber drivers do work at the drop of a hat, basically whenever they want to, and trying to keep employees like that is problematic. What I would suggest is sort of a hybrid model, you know, you work 40 hours, you're an employee. If you don't, you're a contractor. Employees don't get to set their own schedule. They work when they are scheduled to work. Contractors work whenever they want. You could even have part-time scheduled workers. It wouldn't be that hard to set up, and Uber is a big enough company that they should be able to manage it. But instead, Uber is throwing a hissy fit, saying that they might have to pull out of California entirely if this ruling isn't overturned, because that's not nearly as profitable as treating all their workers like garbage equally, and hey, Uber, I totally get that. Which is why I'm sure that you'll get why I use Lyft when I have to, but if at all possible, I just rent a bike when I'm in the city, so go ahead and take your ball and go home until you remember that your home is in California. Motorola revealed this week that it will reveal in a few weeks a new foldable phone. This is the sequel to the largely underwhelming Moto Razr that came out at the beginning of the year. The phone itself wasn't bad, though there were a few screen issues early on, but the phone was outdone in almost every way by the Galaxy Z Flip that came out just a few weeks later, which made the excitement surrounding the Razr quite short-lived. And to combat that, Motorola is unveiling a new version of that phone in September, 
right after Surface Duo pre-orders and Galaxy Z Fold 2 pre-orders and on the eve of a new iPhone. You know, Motorola, you might want to rethink this whole strategy. Just a thought. Speaking of the Microsoft Duo, Microsoft announced its dual-screened Android phone, the Duo, this week and a $1,400 price tag along with it. Ouch! No review devices are out there yet, so all we really know comes from a 30-minute press briefing demo that reporters were able to see ahead of the launch. No, not me, I said reporters. That video is out now on YouTube, so yes, I have actually seen it, and much of it is Panos Panay, who is still my favorite presenter of all time, and he's all like, hey, you see this? This is not a phone. You might call it a phone, but it's not a phone. Let me tell you why it's not a phone. See this? It has two screens. You can see it has two screens and two is better. I'm not telling you anything new here, but it's great. And you're like, yeah, this really is great. Oh, hey, I see what you did there. Anyway, I have more to say about the Duo just after the news, but for now, let's talk about the price. $1,400 is a lot for a lot of compromises. Last year's processor, no NFC, no wireless charging, and by the looks of it, a pretty terrible camera. All this for the same price as the Galaxy Z Flip or the Motorola Razr 2, probably. And all of this for a lot more than an LG V60. Now, the LG V60 doesn't do some of the cool stuff that the Duo does, but honestly, LG should be watching and learning from Microsoft, and by next spring, it should steal... I don't know, at least half of these features, because they are cool, and the V60 is half the price of the Duo, so get on that, LG, and we'll talk more about the Duo in just a second. And finally, this week, Epic Games used a loophole to implement its own payment system into iOS and Android app stores, and promptly got banned from both. Almost immediately afterward, Epic launched its hashtag FreeFortnite campaign, which is ironic because Fortnite is absolutely not free, and that's basically the point of all this, but anyway. Fortnite not only released a Fortnite-esque clone of Apple's famous 1984 commercial and a 60-page lawsuit within hours of the ban, so, you know, they saw this coming. So now it's Epic Games versus Apple and Google, and... I'm having trouble picking a horse in this race because they're all basically just print their own money. And that issue is the ability to have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars instead of just millions and millions and millions of dollars. And you know what? All three of y'all can just go ahead and kiss my butt. Before we get into our main story, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Microsoft Surface Duo phone that was announced this week. It's $1,400 and has a dual screen, and by all reports, the software is mwah, cherry. People are saying that it's a new class of device. It's not a smartphone, it's a Surface, which is great, except people really aren't saying that. Microsoft is saying that a lot and loudly and it made me wonder a few things. And I originally asked a couple of tech pundits to join me on the air for our main story tonight, but neither of them could make the time before press time to chat, which on the one hand, I kind of get. It's super last minute. But on the other hand, like, really? So in the words of Pedro Serrano, Fuck you, Jobu. I do it myself. 
Now, a lot of folks on the internet started by comparing the Surface Phone to the Galaxy Fold, and I can kind of see the comparison. The phone is fairly large, especially when opened up, not unlike the Galaxy Fold and the recently announced Galaxy Z Fold 2. But I have to wonder if people are missing a more obvious comparison here, the LG V60 or the LG Velvet. Now, I don't want to compare it to the Velvet because that's not really a fair comparison in many ways. The Surface Phone has a flagship processor, from 2019, but it's still a flagship, which the Velvet is mid-range. Comparing it to the LG V60 with a dual screen makes a bit more sense in this case. The Surface Phone is a lot lighter than the LG V60 with dual screen case. The Surface Duo weighs in at 250 grams, while the V60 without the case weighs 218 grams but it bumps up to 350 grams with the case. The V60 is not a light phone. But still, I'm wondering why people are so quick to compare the Surface Duo to the Galaxy Fold. It seems like one dual screen device should be compared to another dual screen device, no? Now, it is true that in the demos, at least, that Microsoft has shown us, the Surface Duo software is amazingly adept at handling two screens at once. That's something that LG has shown hints of, but nothing nearly as comprehensive as what Microsoft is doing. But A, those are demos that Microsoft is showing us, and B, most of what Microsoft has shown us is Microsoft software like Outlook and Edge and Teams and OneDrive and OneNote. You get the idea. Will the Duo work as well with, say, Gmail and Chrome? That remains to be seen. I'll be perfectly frank about it. I doubt it. I'm sure Microsoft has the ability to build all of their apps with the optimizations they need to give people a great experience. But I don't use Outlook, and I don't use Edge, and I especially don't use them on Android devices. Google or GTFO, bro. Now, it's possible that Microsoft worked with Google on this, and therefore Google services will work just as well. Microsoft did show off interactions on the phone that include pairing apps that can launch on either screen at once. That's neat, but that doesn't really require anything special of the apps themselves. For example, Twitter opening a Twitter thread on a second screen. We did see a Kindle app from Amazon span both screens while reading, which I admit is pretty great, and something that the LG V60 does not do. But if Microsoft and Google are counting on Android developers to take extra steps to modify their apps to work with a duo, they're going to be disappointed. And so therefore, so will the consumers. And we'll circle back to that in a minute. Microsoft claims that the Surface Duo is a device in a class by itself. Well, not really. It's a dual-screened phone, plain and simple. Ah, but Microsoft is quick to point out, we have developed the software to make this a wonderful experience, which begs the question, does software make a new device category, or does form factor, or does both? Can you have a similar form factor, but a great experience, and only one of those two makes a new device category? I'm not convinced, especially if what I said about the first part turns out to be true. If developers need to go an extra step to build their apps to conform to this experience, they won't. Not for the few hundred or maybe a few thousand Surface Duos that'll sell. There's nothing in it for them, especially compared to the billions with a B of not Surface Duo Android devices out there. So if Microsoft's claim that this is a device class unto itself is based on the experience, and if that experience hinges on developers, then I'm calling BS on Microsoft's claims. And as it turns out, this phone is just a thinner, lighter, and older LG V60 likely with a crappier camera. Is that worth $1,400? 
not in any world I live in. And it should be said that I'm basing all of this on an announcement and a few demo videos of the Surface Duo. There are no reviews out yet, but the tech pundits all seem to be trumpeting this whole new experience that Microsoft is pushing without having actually used it for themselves. The same people that will give a healthy dose of skepticism about the LG V60 are saying, why would I want two screens when I can have one big screen with a Galaxy Fold? Well, now they're seemingly buying into Microsoft's line about this whole new class of device. Is it just the price tag? Maybe we should all be saying the Microsoft Surface Duo is a class unto itself. But then tack on, it has to be, otherwise Microsoft is insane. This is a first generation device, people. So no, I don't recommend you pre-order this device. I don't recommend you buy the device. And hell, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot with this segment. And as a result, I'll never see a review device from Microsoft. But if you're listening, Microsoft, I genuinely want you to be right about this, and I'm issuing you a challenge. Impress me. I'm the very kind of consumer that you need to win over if you want this device to be a success. So consider the gauntlet thrown, Microsoft. Bring it. My DMs are open. Our next guest on the podcast is someone who has been building robots since he was 12 years old. From VCRs and cassette players, no electronics were safe in the Bernstein household. From there, a degree in computer science and a part-time job at a robotics company led to the formation of Orbotics, which is a fun name, but not as fun as the name they eventually changed it to, Sphero. That's right, the little ball controlled by your iPhone was made in part by Ian Bernstein, our guest today. And the reason that we're talking to him is because from Sphero came a different company, which I think is a little less consumer-friendly, but has a much more intriguing mission, and that mission is named Misty, and that's what we're here to talk about. Ian Bernstein, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you, and just a little background on how Ian and I first met each other. At CES in 2019, I was attending Representing Android Authority, a website dedicated to Android phones and tablets, and for some damn reason, they asked me to look into robotics. Okay. Robotics is a fascinating trip for sure, and so I made the best of it, and I would eventually meet one of the best stories of the week on that first day when I sat down with Misty, and I've been following the company ever since, so thanks so much for sitting down with me again, Ian. It's great to have you on again for the first time. See what I did there? That was fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> right off the bat, um, I want to, I wanna, and, and I know you're probably tired of telling this story, but my listeners are nerds, and they will probably appreciate hearing the Star Wars BB-8 story. So, if you can give us just a little, maybe just a little abbreviated version of the story, that'd be great. Um, but just tell us, like, how you encountered Disney and Star Wars and BB-8. Yeah, I mean... You know, personally, I've been a, a Star Wars fan for a long time since I was a kid. Um, of course, watched all the original movies when they came out. Um, R2-D2, C-3PO, like, kind of a little bit of, like, what got me into robotics in the first place when I, when I was 12. Um, but sort of, you know, fast forward uh, to 2014. So we had started Sphero in 2010, so we were... Uh, you know, a few years into the company, we were already shipping our, our, our Sphero product. Um, in our second version of Sphero, so Sphero 2.0, we had started to add some character to Sphero and some backstory. And we created this whole intro cinematic about where Sphero came from, planet Spheron. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And and we saw it working. People were much more engaged with the product. It was a lot more fun. We had things you could unlock in this whole story. And we ended up hearing that Techstars, so Techstars is a sort of a startup accelerator program that you can apply to as a startup company. And we had gone through that to start uh, Orbotics and Sphero in 2010. Um, they were actually doing another program in 2014, a, a corporate partnership program with Disney. And as soon as we heard about the program, we we're like, wow, this character story thing is really working for us. Let's let's learn from the, the master storytellers in the world at Disney. And of course, they're, they had already purchased Lucasfilm and Pixar and some of those other companies. So we decided to apply to the program. We got in. So we showed up in the first week of the program. You get to meet a lot of the executive team at Disney. And one of the people that you meet is uh, was the chairman of Disney, Bob Iger. And we had 10 minutes with him. You know, we were we were pretty nervous and and, uh, you know, so we came pretty prepared. We had our our Sphero. We had a prototype of our product that wasn't out yet, Ollie. Um, so we, we went into the meeting. We're like, hey, we're Sphero from Boulder. And he's like, oh, let me just stop you right there. Like, I've already <laughs> he's like, I, I've already done my research. Like, check this out. And he pulls out his phone and opens like a gallery album on his phone and starts flipping through set photos from episode seven of Star Wars that was a year and a half out from being released. So nobody knew anything at that point. And you could barely see the pictures because it was watermarked with his name and email all over them. Um, So he's he's flipping through and he gets this picture of this this droid and he's like, this is BB-8. This kind of looks like Sphero. Could you make something like this? (laughs) <laughs> and there were, you know, there was, there was some really lucky stuff that happened. We had actually experimented months, or like four months earlier with Sphero with a hat. Okay. Um, as maybe a potential accessory for the product. So as soon as we saw this, we're like, yeah, we know how to do this. Like not a hat, a head. And right after our 10 minutes were up, you know, we saw this picture on his phone for like five seconds. We went and sketched what we thought we had seen as best as we could recall. Um, and then that night when all the other, so we worked in sort of a co-working space at, on the Disney uh, creative campus in Glendale. Um, yeah. We, you know, fired up our 3d printers. We modeled the head, we painted a Sphero and um, we took a video that night, put on some star Wars music and sent it to them. And sort of, you know, the rest is, is sort of <laughs> history. Like, cause they didn't even know if they could make a fully working BB-8 at that point. And I'd say it's it's just, it's an amazing kind of a coincidence, or maybe it's not a coincidence. Suspecting what the heads of Disney might have been thinking when they saw your application, but it, it's it's an interesting um, turn of events that went from Sphero to the BB-8 toy to you know where you are today. And I think that go ahead that is a pretty good segue into where we are today. Now, you and I first talked back at CES 2019, so it was about 18 months ago. So. Um, Let's go ahead and start talking about, you know, the reason we're here to talk, which is Misty. And um, I wanted to start with, if we could, just a brief overview of, you know, where, you know, Misty's journey thus far, and especially focus on what's been going on in the last 18 months, because I already heard the other story. So, um, right. yeah, what's what's going on? What's what's new in the world of Misty? Yeah, so we, we ended up spinning out of Sphero in 2017. Um, and it actually, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the ideas for this spin-out actually came from that same summer at Disney when we were out there. Um, 
Adam Wilson, my co-founder at Sphero, and I were at, at, at Golden Road Brewery, which is just down the street from the creative campus. Um, and we were thinking about, you know, other things we could do in, ro- in robotics and, and started thinking about, like, why, why are there not more robots in our lives? Yeah, we have a fair you know, question. Right, we have our Roomba in our house, and and we read about robot arms building cars and factories and stuff like that. But beyond that, you know, we're starting to see more. But why are they not here yet? And we we decided when we got back from the Disney program and sort of the chaos of getting BB-8 out the door, we were running our R and D team at the time. We decided to think about like how do we get a more ro- advanced robot into people's hands and decided to go the platform route, um, get it to developers who are passionate and experienced in, in a lot of different areas, um, to let them build the end applications and let us do what we're experts in, in, in building robots and making it easy for them to program. So, so that's the route we went down. Um, it took about three and a half years, almost four years to actually ship the product. Um, very complicated uh, processors, Snapdragon processors in Misty. It runs Android. Um, it also runs, there's another processor that runs uh, Windows 10 IoT Core. Um, hmm. Build out all the APIs, all the sensors, mapping the navigation and all that kind of stuff. So we started shipping the product in September of 2019. Okay. Um, we were, you know, those were the first units that went out. It basically took us, um, we did a crowdfund in 2018. So it took us um, it took us a few months to sort of get all those crowdfund units out. Um, mm-hmm. So you know we were we were just starting to sort of see our our flywheel turn for the company, which is a customer coming in. Um, they might have an idea for how they can use a robot in their in their life, in their home, or their business. Um, get the robot start to program a we call it a skill, like the app for the robot. We call them skills. Mm-hmm. Um, program the skills and then go into pilot programs. So we had a bunch of uh, several pilot programs going when coronavirus hit. Um, and one, you know, the idea is once these uh, applications had been piloted, then that customer could then sell a complete solution um, into a particular market. So we had customers in elder care, uh, working on elder care, sort of companionship safety applications, uh, a bunch of customers there. We had several customers in the children's therapy space. We had a bunch of customers in the education space um, and then a bunch of uh, other customers and just uh, other other applications um, kind of all over the board. But sort of the three main we were looking at were um, education, children's therapy and, and elder care, sort of the bigger groups that we were seeing. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, but first, you know, we've, we've actually been talking for some time now, and we've never actually really talked about the capabilities of, like, the Misty robot. So if I were yeah. to order a Misty robot, what would I be getting in the, uh, in the unit? Like, uh, just kind of like a brief overview of, like, specs and, like, capabilities. If yeah. You so, you, I mean, a case, a carrying case shows up at your door with the robot in it. Um, okay. It has, uh, of course, the robot itself. Um, the robot charges wirelessly on a sort of a pad that you put on your floor. Um, okay. So that's, that's included in the box. Um, the robot itself, it's about, uh, it's about uh, 14 inches tall. So okay. It's a fairly small robot. Um, it kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot of inspiration for us with uh, Eve from Wally. Okay. Wally, Johnny Five. 
um, R2-D2. So there's a lot of influence that sort of went into the design of the robot. When, when you see a picture of it, you'll, you'll probably see some of those elements. Um, there will be then, a photo. Uh, there will be a photo on the show notes for this, by the way, so our users great. can get an idea. Um, and then, you know, as far as capability, I'll just kind of quickly run down from the top. Um, yeah. So there's capacitive touch, uh, far field microphones. So you do get audio localization. You can tell where sound is coming from around the robot. Um, you have a visor in the robot, and the visor has a high resolution camera as well as a structure sensor a depth okay. sensor, and that's that's used for mapping and navigation. Um, the head is three degrees of freedom. The head can look around. She has a, a LCD face, screen face, um, arms, speaker system, uh, really good sound system, uh, bump sensors. There's what we call time-of-flight sensors. So there's seven of them. There's mm-hmm. three facing forward. Those give, this, give, us, uh, give you distance to different obstacles in front of Misty. Um, so there's three in the front, one in the back, and then four downward facing. So she knows not to drive off of your stairs. Always a good thing. <laughs> um, there's a there's a few uh, hardware expandability sort of areas uh, for Misty. So you might be able to attach other types of sensors. So there's a panel on her head um, that's magnetic. You could 3D print your own panel. So one of our one of our engineers actually, he's, he's really into like LED artwork and he created an LED mohawk for Misty. So it could just be nice. something for fun, <laughs> you know, as well as practical. Um, we've also put, put uh, thermal cameras and other things on her head um, using that panel. She has a trailer hitch so she can pull stuff around. And then there's okay. a backpack that's also magnetic. And that backpack we have in our Arduino version of it. Um, so you can hook in other sensors. So we've had students create an articulated arm that can reach out and grab things. Um, and that hooks in through that backpack for data and power. Um, we're, we're using it right now um, to test our temperature screening. So we're hooking different sensors into that, uh, into Misty through that backpack that you can, you know, you can hook up motors and light yeah. sensors or environmental sensors or whatever you, whatever you want through that interface. So that's, that's kind of a, a rough overview of the capabilities. Sure. And actually, let's go ahead and uh, transition, since you mentioned it, let's go ahead and talk about that temperature screening. That's, uh, that's something that is fairly new to Misty um, because of COVID-19. And uh, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about how Misty is helping out in that regard. Yeah. So, so again, like, you know, over the last four years, like our model has been really, uh, really about supporting developers, supporting the community. And it, and that's still, very forefront to the company. Um, yeah. But when COVID hit, a lot of those customers sort of had to pause what they were working on. So we decided to create our own skill. instead of just sort of sitting around and waiting for the world to <laughs> get, you know, to get back online. Right. Um, so we thought about what we could create, what would be the most impactful. And one of the advantages of Misty is that she has a very strong personality, and a lot of that came from our, our learnings from Disney and BB-8. So a lot of the applications where Misty really excels are, are sort of those things where you're interacting with a person, like a companion or a therapist. Or, yeah. Um, so we thought of, well, maybe we could do health screening. So we see a lot of people, at, we're seeing a lot of people at businesses um, manually asking screening questions, taking people's temperatures. And that's a very risky job for them. It's also mm-hmm. not the best, you know, for, for me when I go and get my haircut or go to the dentist and the person has to ask me all these kind of uncomfortable questions sometimes, depending on which questions they're asking. 
um, you know, I'd rather I'd rather talk to a robot than, you know, divulge all my like health information to another person. Do you see do you see this uh, this temperature sensing and, you know, shipping a Misty product to consumers? Do you see that as being a new direction for Misty Robotics or is this just kind of like a, a side note while we wait for this, while we all keep our heads down and wait for 2020 to just go the hell away? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's a little bit of a, a TBD, like where this okay. will sort of take us. Um you know, initially when we st- first started thinking about it, it was just like, well, let's let's just do something else for a little p- period of time, um, you know, until we can get back to sh- selling robots to developers. Um, but as we're digging in, I mean, there's a real need for something like this, and and we're you know we're all in. Like we, we want to make the solution the best solution we possibly can, and um, yeah. you know we'll, we'll see where it evolves. Excellent. So um, one 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 notable, except, I mean, I'm talking to a robotics guy, and if I don't talk about Boston Dynamics during this interview, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail. So um, <laughs> one question I wanted to ask was, you know, Boston Dynamics started shipping. I don't know. I don't. I actually don't even know if they have a name for the the, the dog robot. We all know about the dog yeah, robot spot. that can. Spot. That's right. I knew. I knew there was. It was like a Fido or something like that. But anyway, so Boston Dynamics starts shipping Spot for like seventy five grand or something like that. But and and I actually uh, came across one of your Misty videos where Misty was kind of meeting Spot and they were kind of like interacting with each other, which I thought was adorable. Like it was like cuteness overload. Um, but I was just kind of wondering, like with with Boston Dynamics shipping a really expensive and fairly versatile robot you know how has that affected misty at all if at all i mean are there are you playing in the same circles or are you you know are you two different uh are you two different sports playing different arenas you know i would say it's um i would say it's two different fairly two different markets um you know it is interesting so the 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 photos and video you're talking about um, I think was from a Wall Street Journal event, uh, Tech Live in California that we were at last year. That sounds right. <laughs> and they had Spot, and they had the version with the with the arm sort of face, kind of looks like a giraffe, you know, on the front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's it's really interesting to watch people who are non engineers, roboticists around that robot, and there's sort of this you could see this conflict in everybody, almost everybody. Where it's like, on one hand, it's fascinating, and they're really curious. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other side, you see this, like, this fear, <laughs> like, kind of terror. Because <laughs> the robots, like, are pretty scary looking, and especially the way it moves. Yeah, um, I, I can see that, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you know, so I, I think they're going to do well in the space. You know, they're not going to be sort of the front of office in, in the near term, you know, they're more patrolling a construction site, taking photos, um, you know, for project managers. They're, um, you know, where it's traversing, you know, over like rebar and ditches and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I think in that sort of application, it's going to work really well. Um, mm-hmm. Misty is more, more, the, more where like 
you know, 98% of the people are like, oh my God, that's so cute. Like, I want to interact with it. And, right. You know, we, we have people on temperature screening. They're like, oh, I don't need my temperature, but like, can I, can I do it anyways? We're like, yeah, totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, if I'm totally honest, you know, like when I saw that, when I saw that promo video, I kind of wanted to have my pe- temperature taken by Misty. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, well, Colorado's only a 13 hour drive. What the heck? You know? <laughs> so, but, um, but I mean, yeah. It's adorable, and it, and it's and and it's really it's really yeah. great to see uh, Misty and Boston Dynamics, you know, spot, you know, kind of getting in the minds of of the common person because, like, I think we all think of robots in the abstract right now, like you know, anywhere from you know on the negative side, Terminator, all the way up to Rosie the robot, and 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 I think that you know seeing them as a part of like day to day life, it's it, you know one one. One thing that I like to say all the time is it kind of feels like we're using the future at that point, you know, whether it's, you know, a 14 inch tall little misty robot or it's a, you know, it's a robot dog with a with a claw on its head. (laughs) So um, I, I, I think it's fascinating and I love the fact that Misty is doing, I, I love the fact that Misty is doing well. And I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we might start seeing more robots in the future. And I think that's a, that's a positive for everybody. Now, before we, before we wrap up and I've kept you a lot longer than I think I promised I would. So, um, I just want to go ahead and turn the floor over to you. Um, how can we hear from, a robo dude or how can we hear from misty or you know where where can we where can we catch up with you yes i mean definitely check out um or follow us on twitter check out our community community.mistyrobotics.com like get involved there even if you don't have a misty just come hang out and talk about robots um you know find us on linkedin find me on linkedin ian bernstein i'm happy to chat and if um you know if anybody listening is you know, thinking about how they get back to the office, um, you know, would love for you to check us out, um, the temperature screening assistant solution with Misty and give us, you know, send me feedback on it, good or bad. Um, please share it with, uh, you know, your office manager or if your business owner, check it out. Um, yeah. And let's, uh, let's get, let's get more robots helping make us safe in our, in our lives and doing all the mundane stuff for us so we can, we can uh, have more fun. We can think great thoughts. I love it. Well, Ian, once again, thank you for coming on and for having a chat with me. And uh, hopefully we can get you on again sometime soon. Yeah, that'd be great. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'd like to thank Ian Bernstein for sitting down with me for the second time to talk Star Wars, Misty, and temperature taking. I'd like to thank Clifton M. Thomas for all of his work behind the scenes. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) 